Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. Well, by the, um, by the decorations, I'd say we're just about there. Christmas. How many sleeps until Christmas? Yeah. Six. Six sleeps until Christmas. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I do like seasons. I do like the fact that, um, that we're not just continually in a perennial spring, even though spring's nice. But the only reason I enjoy spring is because we've just gone through winter. <laughs> and the same, you know, summer, there's, there's so much. Like in summer, you start to see real growth happening. You're out there mowing the grass every week and you know, trying to keep things in order because there's just that energy, that's tr- that new life that's trying to burst forth. And then to cool all that off, because you can only sustain that for so long, then you, you come back to autumn and then into winter, such as we have. And it's the same with the seasons of life too. Um, I'm, I'm rejoicing in a new season of life where I was, um, I was a builder for most of my life and tried to, um, to break out of that several times and um, I, felt, I felt really misplaced. I, I really you know, struggled with the Lord and explained to him numerous times that I was really a missionary and so I would go you know, into the mission fields as we call them and... Um, and the Lord would show me that, no, um, you just go back and you're a carpenter and you stay in the building trade and you build. And I'd try that a few times, but inevitably um, he won. And I, I, uh, I've been, I had been working as a builder for 40 years and, um, and just was able to retire from that into the life of a nurseryman. So my new career as a nurseryman started a couple of years ago. But I've been, I've been very blessed and I've been very blessed with, um, by my wife, my faithful companion of 40, I don't know, how long? 39 years, nearly 40 years. <laughs> it's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit tricky. We've got a whole lot going on there. But, um, but Belinda... Belinda decided that her career was going to be homeschooling our children. We had five, we have five children some of which are still amongst us, <laughs> coming in late. And, um, <laughs> and she, she committed to homeschooling our children 27 years. That was also a season just completed at the end of this year. So she's completed 27 years. And the last, the last child, Ezra, he's, um, he's, off, he's off our hook and about to um, find his own hooks. <laughs> But it's, it's, been, it's been great. And in all, in all that, what we've found is that um, God has been very, very faithful and has blessed us through all the, all the ins and ups and seasons of life. And, you know, our testimony is that just that. He is faithful and he gets us through. Um, I, because I've been a, um, a builder for much of my life, I've tried to avoid using, whenever I get to speak, I try to avoid using building metaphors and because of that even though God spoke to me and has and still speaks to me many times through these metaphors I just thought it was a bit myopic you know if you've got a builder up talking about building it's you know anyway I'm going to be cutting loose because I'm no longer a builder I'm I'm a nurseryman (laughs) so could you please turn your Bibles to uh, Psalm 127 verse 1 while I turn my Bible up the right way 
So it's a verse that we well know, but I just want to suggest that there's a bit more it might have to tell some of us. It certainly opened up my eyes to some, what I think, maybe secrets in the Lord. Maybe they're not secrets. Maybe everybody knows, you know, this secret. Who knows? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, there was a time way back where I just used to look at this and think, oh, yeah, okay, so... It's talking about a building project. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to build a house, or you're going to float a business, or you're going to, you know, decide to homeschool or something like that. Unless the Lord's in it, you know, what's the point? It's not going to work. That used to be as far as I could see, but but then I guess just through the reading of the Word and um, the Holy Spirit working in my heart, I started to see that there was potentially a bit more to that because the Bible doesn't um, always use a word um, that we understand literally, doesn't always use it in that sense. Sometimes there's a deeper meaning behind it. And I think that's possibly what's happening here in this particular verse, particularly because, number one, it's a psalm. It's a psalm of a sense. So it's one of the, one of the songs that were written for people who were, for Jews, who were entering into a time of, of worship, um, began to make the journey up to the temple um, in Jerusalem. So there was an ascent and they would, they would um, sing these psalms as they ascended up to the mountain up to, of the Lord and up to the, the temple. So that made me start to think that maybe there's something more to that. So as I started to, um, to push further into the Bible, I saw that the word house, unless the Lord builds a house, they labour in vain that build it, unless that a house can, is often used... I believe, um, as a metaphor for the soul, the soul of man. And some of the scriptures that um, you know, I can refer to, one of the ones, which is an interesting one, is in Luke 11. And Luke 11, um, 24, where Jesus, um, talking about demons of all things, said that when a spirit goes out of a man, he wanders through dry places Finding not, but not finding rest, he returns to the house and seeing that it's nicely swept and clean and empty, he goes and finds seven of his ugly mates and returns and dwells in that house. So very clearly there, Jesus, himself a carpenter, was using this analogy um, where a house and a soul were one and the same thing. The house, the soul, is where spirits live it's interesting, isn't it, <laughs> when you think of it that way? So we, the Bible says, the Bible says we have a spirit and therefore it gives me this idea that the soul is the dwelling place of our spirit. A few other um, ones I can think of too is Revelation 3.20 where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open to me, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. And that, again, gives this idea of, of Jesus knocking at a door of a house and the person who owns the house um, should let him in, that he would sup with them, come into them. Jesus coming in by his spirit, you know, into a house. Again, Jesus as the spirit of God entering into a house. So there's, there's verses like that which are pretty, you know, which make the, um, the analogy stand up I think quite well, but it's important for us to, 
you know, to understand the base of that. Another one is also um, Psalm 131, verse 2, uh, which is a really good one. It's where Jesus, uh, sorry, where um, Solomon this time, another song of ascents, where Solomon says that I quiet, um, I quieten my soul um, as a mother. So I'm not, I'm not quoting this exactly, but the idea was that as a mother um, comforts her, um, her weaned child, so I comfort and quieten my soul within me. You know, so David is, is sort of separating himself from his soul because he's able to speak to his soul. He's actually able to give instructions to his soul, quieten his soul, as a mother would um, quieten her weaned child. It's a beautiful analogy, isn't it? A beautiful idea. So let's look at this then. If that's the case, what do we have in Psalm 127? Well, we have this idea that a man can build a house and he can build it in vain if the Lord is not with him or he can build it with the Lord. So is this saying, is this, is this perhaps suggesting that we can build our soul? And when you think about it, even a city you know, that, that the Lord watches over, um, as, as well as the watchman, guard, and, and watches, then a city is just, you know, it's just a congregation of houses, which is what we've got here, really, is a congregation of houses. So I do think it stands up, and I want to try and um, open that up a bit more and look at what that could tell us um, further. So if you could uh, turn to Proverbs 24, please. 24, verses 3 to 4. So I'm not at this stage saying that these are what these verses actually mean. I'm suggesting to you that I, I think they can mean it. And as we go in further, I think um, you'll find the case a little bit more convincing. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. It's another beautiful passage um, that I, I love to meditate on. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding is established. So is it possible then for us to build our soul in wisdom, with knowledge, and then fill it with precious and pleasant riches? And how do we go about that, and what does that mean? And what does it mean about the house that we are actually got now that isn't quite... Um, so well-founded? Does it mean that our houses can be rebuilt? Does it mean that there's a possibility for renovations to take place, you know, for knockdowns and rebuilds and that sort of thing? Again, I think that is what the Bible is suggesting. Matthew 7, 24 to 25. Um, again, this is a passage that we all know. Jesus said, "'Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, "'I will liken him to a wise man,' who builds his house upon the rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And then Jesus goes on and talks about what it is like to build on a less substantial foundation, build unwisely, and how that house won't stand. So what happens then if we, as a, um, as a non-believer, we become a Christian, and we start to look at the way our life is and we start to 
be convicted by the word of God and we start to realize that, um, that God is interested in us enough to the point where he wants to start to rebuild us, what part do we have to play in that? Is this, is this a process where you know, we just hang back and let God do his thing? Or do we, through wisdom, go into a partnership, a building partnership with God, and we, um, we start to cooperate and we start to put the things that he has taught us, that he has made us wise in knowing, into, into play so we can start to bring about something substantial. It's an interesting thing, and again, I think this is true. The reason why I think we can build again and again is because of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. So does that mean just once? Because, I mean, we're talking about the Corinthian church. It's not talking about a new Christian. It's talking about a church. We are a new creature, a new creation. Is that something that just happened to me when 40... Three years ago, <laughs> was I a new creation then? But I've ceased to become a new creation because now I'm just an old creation. Is that what it's like? Because <laughs> I don't feel like an old creation. I feel like that there's still building work going on inside of me continually. And not only that, I also believe, I, I do firmly now, it's my conviction, that I substantially um, accelerate that by cooperating and by partnering with the Lord by understanding what he wants to rebuild in me. So this is a bit of an interesting thing because we're talking about the fundamental elements of our identity. And this is one thing I've, I've, you know, I wrestle with, with myself and it's one thing that I see other people wrestling with. Should I change? Like, you know, this pressure on me to change, is it right? And where does it come from? I don't believe it comes from the church and I don't believe it comes from... Um, from the world, certainly not. I do believe that there is a natural pressure, if you want to use that word, encouragement, that comes from the Holy Spirit to bring change in the heart of every person, continual change. And the way that we, um, we cooperate with that is that we invest ourselves in the Word of God and we understand what it has to say to us and we, we give ourselves to it. We allow that water to wash over us and to make us anew. How does that sound? Not too bad? Okay. (laughs) So far, so good. I haven't lost you, Jim. So let us look again at this this Proverbs uh, 24. So through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. So there is a way that we can build which is unwise, and obviously the first thing, um, if you're going to build, on, uh, build unwisely, is that you've, you get the foundation wrong. Now, foundation isn't, isn't something that, you, that humanity goes out and establishes. Foundation is something that exists. So a little bit of building advice here for you. When you build, the dirt that you dig into, that dirt is the foundation. What you pour into that or put on top of that is your footing. So the foundation is existing. You've got to look for the right foundation. You've got to look for what's existing and build on that. Don't try... If you, if you think that you're going to produce your own foundation, well, you're not. You can't. There's no such thing. The foundation is existing and the foundation has to be solid. So I recommend, again, 
that any time you start to build something, um, it's got to be on a firm foundation, something that won't move. Not only that, if you build something very large on a very small footing, it will fall over. <laughs> and I've seen this time and time again. I think I started to do that at one stage in my own life where I started to build something that was incorrectly proportioned to the foundation that I was building upon. And I had to back off really quickly because I could see I could not sustain it. And this is what we often do in life. We start to build something um, thinking that what we originally started with was enough to support us, but it wasn't. You've got to continue to check your foundation and continue to make sure that what you are up top is at least um, half of what you've got underneath. <laughs> Look at a tree. <laughs> you, you see trees fall down all, all the time. Often it's because they, they enter into this season of growth and they throw out all this wonderful leaf and, and then comes into a time of hardship like heavy rain where the ground start to soften up or winds and over it goes because the roots didn't develop along with the growth of the tree. So where then, where do we understand, where do we understand how we should build and what that should look like? Is there something in the Bible that could explain that to us? Well, I think again there is. Romans 5.10 is, is a, a passage that... Um, doesn't get a lot of airtime because we don't really understand it. Romans 5.10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. How are you saved by his life? How does Jesus save you by his life? Like we have a theology that explains how we're saved by his death. You know, he died in the place of all man so that we might live and be reconciled to God. We understand what it is to be saved by his death. But what is it to be saved by his life? And I think too often we tend to overlook the life of Christ without understanding that by conforming to his life, conforming our life to his life, in other words, following the plan of his life and building upon that, that we actually... Are saved. We're saved not, not in respect to our sin, but in respect to our nature, in respect to the way we're put together, in respect to the formation of our soul. And that as we, as we um, give ourselves to Christ, as we commit ourselves to um, wanting to be like him and seeking to be like him and praying to God to be like him, then his life starts to become our life and our plans change quite often. So I think in Christ, in the life of Christ, we have a very clear building plan, if you like, of what we should look like and we shouldn't accept excuses. It's no use going, oh, yes, but that's Jesus and I can't be. I'm, I'm me, you know, I'm me and, you know, I'm pretty keen, the sort of person I am. And um, if I change, then it's not going to be me any longer, is it? You know, but that's the point, isn't it? Because we want to be like Christ. We want his life to consume our life. And if we try and save our life, what does the Bible say? <laughs> You'll lose it. <laughs> if you try to hang on to your life, you try to hang on to your old nature, you try to hang on to the blueprint of your soul 
for dear life, thinking that that's your identity that you can't possibly give up, then what you're doing is you're working against the Holy Spirit. You're working against what God wants to do. He wants to reproduce his son in us. So I think we do have a plan. By wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. And then once we've, once we've got this and we feel that, um, you know, we, we start to mature and we start to get a bit of a grasp on the deep things of God and, and the power of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to achieve in us, then there's something also that I see we neglect and that is maintenance. <laughs> we, we start to, to rest and go... You know, it's okay. You know, I've, I've got a place in the church. People like me. You know, I'm doing a few things. I've got a few projects happening. I'm a, you know, I've got a pretty good reputation as a Christian. It's all cool. But we need to consider maintenance, always going back and checking, <laughs> checking our soul. Let's have a look at um, Ecclesiastes 1. Oh, sorry. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 18. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 18. This is a really deep verse. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hand, hands, the house leaks. I think that just means just what it says, but anyway, we're going to, we're going to keep with the analogy. <laughs> and it's just that, that if we, if we start to find that the world starts to leak in to our building... Um, it can often go undetected, but if we spend a little bit of time looking around and, and going back to the first, the, first, um, the first things of our life, the first love, and refreshing ourselves in that, then we can put up a pretty good resistance to the world and we can continue to cleanse ourselves of it so that we don't find that we, instead of being conformed to the to the nature of Christ, that we're becoming conformed to the nature of the world. And it's very easy. It's a very subtle process. And rot, you know, there's... there's the houses decay. If, it's just a law of entropy, isn't it? You know, where if you just leave things the way they are, it's going to go downhill. It never goes uphill. Continue, you need to input spiritual energy. Um, you need to input prayer and meditation... And to give yourself, on a day-by-day basis, to the word of the Lord. You know, it's not something that just happens and that you can rest on. It's something that you, you continue to participate in for the whole of life. But then what about the rooms? How do we then fill this soul of ours with things that are precious and pleasant? <laughs> I, I really do feel that... Um, that I'm pretty, I'm getting pretty chock-a-block. I guess it could be because of age, but I do feel very blessed and I do feel quite full. I have so many um, great memories and I have, you know, memories of, of our, you know, of, of our kids and, and um, the memories of the early days of our house. And, but on top of that, I've also, I've also got a, a, a good deposit of the Word of God. Not enough to satisfy me by any means, but... You know, the things that God has taught me remain in me and they're very, they're very precious things to me. They're very, they're very um, rich and very meaningful to me. But there are many other things, of course, aren't there? There's truth and there's love 
there's joy and there's peace. And I, I, I was talking to... Um, I was talking to Ian just before the service and he came up to me and said, how are you going? And I said, oh, pretty good. And he said, yeah, me too. It's great, isn't it? And, and I like the fact that he asked me how I was going first because there's nothing worse and you know, embarrassing, I guess, than coming up to somebody and telling them how wonderful your life is when you then realise that you know, they're in misery, you know, they're in torture. So it's always good to reflect on the other person and I do acknowledge that many people here are suffering and many people are going through trials and tribulations. But nonetheless, nonetheless, those things in themselves have meaning and purpose. But we need to, to give consideration to what we're filling our rooms with. What, what's going into our rooms? Are they, are they things that are, uh, are just going to fizzle away? Or are they things that are going to curl up on the edges and attract cobwebs? You know, are they things that really have no value in themselves? Or are they things that are going to last for all eternity? Because we're talking about an internal soul. You don't want to be filling your soul up with things that, you know, you don't want to take into eternity. You want your soul to be full of things that are eternally rich and eternally pleasant, don't you? So again, spending a little bit of time shining the, the light. I think um, it's Proverbs 20, 27, isn't it? said that the light, uh, that the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, shining into all the innermost parts of his heart. So it's good to take your, your spirit and allow the Lord to use that as a lamp and have a look around and check what's inside there. Make sure that you're full of riches and pleasant things. And make sure that there's, uh, there's no water of the world leaking in or there's no decay sort of chewing away at the joists and the bearers of your life. All this brings me to what I wanted to, um, to talk about very quickly because we won't have a, a great deal of time. But I think it's... I think a positive theology of life is something that behooves a Christian. It's something that I think each Christian should give time to consider because our theology, you know, the way we understand the world, the way we understand ourselves, the way we understand others is all filtered through different processes. And a Christian, a Christian should be processing that through the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about this? What does God want me to do in this situation? How should I think about this? And so on and so forth. But I found that you can emphasise these passages or that part of Scripture and de-emphasise these things. And so you actually, because you are participating in the building, in this building project called your soul with God, I think there's a certain degree of choice involved. He doesn't, he doesn't um, take us and mould us and shape us um, to his own good pleasure unless we do want him to do it. If we resist, he won't. That's my observation anyway. But I think if we, if we decide that we want a positive theology of life and not a negative theology of life, then we should actually start to think about what that is. Write it down. Get it before you. The reason I think this is necessary is because, again, what the Scriptures teach. Let's have a look at Philippians 
sorry, 4, 4 to 13. So there's a passage here I'd like to read. I think we've got enough time. And just let this sink into you in the context of what I've been speaking about. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. It's interesting, isn't it, what we can um, meditate on (laughs) and what we give our time to and what, um, where we allow our mind to go and the things that we find pleasure in and then considering whether those things have eternal value and whether those things actually are pleasant and um, are rich and are precious that we should fill our lives with. But here we are. We're talking about a peace that surpasses all understanding. So how is it then that... Um, that over the last two years, since this whole COVID thing's been around, there's been so much distress amongst the churches, so much anxiousness. There's been so much um, shaking, people uncertain of quite where things are and they're uncertain about their own life and, and what's going to happen. Why, why do we allow the circumstances of life to shake us is it because our foundation is not solid or is it because we've built too big <laughs> but we haven't taken care to, uh, to make sure our base is right? But it has been interesting just to see um, sometimes just how fragile our faith can be when adversity comes along. Fine, we're really good when things are going hunky-dory <laughs> but when things start to get a little bit sharp and a little bit hard and a little bit harsh that we start to fear. When I, start, when I started to um, first contemplate on this, I did pass over it because I thought, well, you know, what sort of things are lovely? <laughs> you know, I'm a builder. <laughs> you don't go around, you know, thinking on lovely things. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this whole thing, be anxious for nothing. Well, clearly the guy didn't have a life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But then I started to see Paul was writing this from prison. He was in chains. He was under a sentence of death. <laughs> what does that say? Like, this is a fellow that's been whipped and beaten. He's been starved. He's had everything you could possibly imagine done to him and more. This is a guy who knew suffering. And he goes, eh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with praise and thanksgiving. You know, let your request be known to my God. You know, that's... <laughs> And, and, you know, when you're on death row, you know, do you go, oh, I'm just going to concentrate my mind now on, on lovely things and noble things and just things. Yeah. Guy's, you know, obviously a complete lunatic or else he is a very good example of what we should be. And I think it could be the latter. 
and when I started to look at the life of Paul and, and what he was doing writing to the Philippians here and, and what he was trying to say, you know, what he's saying is that there is power in the Spirit of God living out through the soul of man that is 100% given over to the work of God in that soul. You know, when you no longer consider yourself to be yours, you are Christ. And you are quite happy for Christ to do whatever he wants, knowing that no matter what happens to you, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown on my, um, my positive theology of life. The way I see it is that my house has got windows and I've got six windows in it and I keep the windows clean because when you get a dirty window, you'll understand firstly that you can't see things clearly on the outside and secondly, the light that comes through is pretty bleak. Everything inside is pretty dull. You clean a window, it's a beautiful thing. It happens in our kitchen every six months and the kitchen just comes alive. <laughs> and then we have to repaint because <laughs> we can see what the, all the decay on the inside. <laughs> so this is mine. These are my six windows. As I said, you can, you can have a negative theology of life. You can write down... Six shaded curtained windows, if you like, and, and give yourself to that. But do it purposefully because I think this is what this is all about, is looking at yourself from this perspective, something that you contribute to and that you build with and that you, being your, the spirit, your spirit within you, which is the real you, um, has authority, has the capacity to be able to determine with God and in the conviction of God what your soul is to be like. One, have a positive view of people. Now, look, I know the Calvinists, you know, with their, their tulip, their um, total depravity of mankind. You know, I do, believe, <clears throat> I do believe that man is totally depraved insofar as that there's not a great deal in man that is worth, um, that is worth much to God. It's, there's um, the salvation is not by anything that is within us because there's nothing good within us. But on the other hand, I also see that the image of God is in every person. God created man in his own image and he did this before man fell. And that image, even though it's a little bit, you know, it could it certainly needs a makeover, that image is present in Christian and non-Christian. That is why there are so many non-Christians that seem to be better Christians than the Christians. Which you have to admit, like... Embrace it because it's true. It's the image of God in man that gives me a positive view of life, a positive view of man. And that means I can trust people. doesn't mean that I have to not trust anyone. I give people trust. when I, that's, that's my first response. You tell me that, I believe you. It's not that I'm naive. I don't think I am. It's not that I'm naive. It's just that that's what I choose to do. And sure, I cop it in the face a few times, particularly when you're in the industries that, you know, I've been involved in, you know, and, and you can be seen to be naive or gullible and all these sort of things, but that's what I decided I wanted to do. I wanted to have a positive theology of my fellow man. And what I found is that when I trusted them, they trusted me. It was a crazy thing and we got on well. A positive view of self. You've got to have a positive view of self. This is the positive view of self that I have. I'm no big deal. <laughs> I don't particularly love myself. <laughs> I'll look after myself because, you know, 
this is who God has made me and who he is making me, but I'm no big deal. And at the scheme of things, I'm just a tiny, tiny, tiny speck on the whole history of the Christian church. I'm no big deal. And I'm sorry to say you're no big deal either, you know. So you just need to get over yourself. I need to get over myself and understand that we're dead. (laughs) A crucified body doesn't need to really think too highly of themselves because, you know, well, they're dead. So that's my positive view of self. Dead as a dodo. (laughs) Again, referring back to, to Paul, he puts it nicely. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I do live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and who gave himself for me. I can live with that. That's something I can live with. Dead. (laughs) Positive view of life. Now, this is a crazy thing. Life, you know, this life here. Surely it's a matter of just waiting until we die so we can go to heaven. You know, or maybe it's because, you know, let's eat, drink and be merry for, them. you know, tomorrow we'll die. So let's, let's get this part of life, enjoy this part of life because after that, you know, best shot, you'll get a, a harp and a cloud and, and that's it. But it's, it's this life, I am convinced because of my understanding of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom. Because of my understanding of the, of the, of the kingdom of God, I believe that this life has meaning and what I do every day and what I commit myself to has significant, eternal significance. Can't go into it, but again, it's there. The kingdom of God. It's what it's all about. The other thing I should say is that God is sovereign. We can often think that, hey, you know, because you know, the Bible speaks once about the devil being the God of this world, that you know, that the devil has dominion over all the world. No, God has dominion. He is sovereign. He has not relinquished his right to this world. He does not own this world. Sorry, the devil does not own the world. God owns the world. The devil is just, he's just a tool in the uh, tool bag of God and he'll get his in. So he, is, he certainly has power. I'm not denying that. But I'm saying he doesn't call the shots. Not in my life, baby. (laughs) God is sovereign. That enables me also to have a positive view of life. Positive view of the future. Well, it's pretty much the same as a positive view of life. I'm not scared of the future. I don't even think the future is necessarily going to be bad. I know that's a crazy thought. But I really think looking back to where we've come from, I think that there's every good chance that tomorrow's going to be bright. I don't see any reason why not to believe it, but even if I didn't, even if I thought that um, Armageddon's around the corner, nonetheless, I would say that because all things work for the good of those that love God and called according to his purpose, and because there is nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus, that I'm not worried about it. If that's going to be my future, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. I'm looking forward to the future because if the future brings challenges, then I know the blessings of God will be twice what those challenges are because that is what I've seen in the times past. That is what the Bible says. That's what I see in the time to come. Positive view of suffering. I know it's a hard one, but I do believe that there is a point in suffering. I'm not saying that suffering is from God. 
I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, again, in suffering, we can find meaning if we look at what the Bible teaches about suffering. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into the various trials of life, knowing that this will bring about patience and that patience will um, have its perfect work, that you might be entire, perfect, wanting nothing. So in suffering, there's a perfecting going on. I have a positive view of suffering. Um, I fully understand that people who suffer don't have a positive view of suffering. When I suffer, I find it very hard to have a positive view. But nonetheless, I try as best I can to comfort myself that in suffering I can still grow and I can still prosper and I can still have the joy of the Lord. Finally, a positive view of church. Ooh. <laughs> I have a very positive view of church. I have a very, and you know why? Because Jesus loves the church and gave himself for her. It's as simple as that. It's Ephesians uh, 5.25, um, where the church is likened to the bride and, um, and Christ is the, the husband loving her. So I do. I, I do believe that when that was written, it wasn't written just in some vague terms. It was written specifically about, a, about the local church, the church, the church that you and I go to when we commit ourselves to. Christ loves her. We should love her. We should love one another. We should love the congregation of the saints and we should love the covering together, the coming together. And we should give ourselves just the way that Christ gave herself for her. So, to build a house. By wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established and by knowledge um, its rooms are filled with all pleasant, uh, all precious and pleasant riches. So what I would encourage you is just to consider your soul, consider whether you're happy with it. I don't think you can divorce your soul, but you can certainly um, speak to the Lord and um, get a bit of a project going together and see what he wants done. Have a look at the plans, have a look at the, have a look at the, uh, the different building ideas that are out there, check out the interior design and give yourself to it because there is so much more to this life. There's so much more to experience if only we could understand the depths of his riches and what he wants to build into each one of us. Amen. Praise God. All right, well, let's just um, pray and then we'll, we'll have communion. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you gave yourself for each one of us here. You, you died for the whole of the world and that you love us so much that not only did you save us to yourself, but Lord, that you want to build into us the very best that we can be. And Lord, we just, um, again, we just renounce all claims to ourselves as disciples. Um, we offer ourselves afresh to you to be able to do in us your good pleasure. Lord, that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come in each one of us, Lord. That you would bring a renewal um, and a restoration and a refurbishment 
in our souls. And Lord, that you would cause us to consider what parts of us, Lord, are, are not in keeping uh, with your will and not according to your plan, Father, and that you would uh, help us to, to relinquish those and to, to seek again that, that freshness and that newness, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can bring. So, Lord, we just, uh, we just offer ourselves to you and we just thank you, Lord, that, um, that as we approach this, this time of celebrating your, your birth, the birth of your son here, um, Lord, that we just remember that, that even you, you changed, that you became something you were not, that you became man, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of our eternal salvation. And if you can change without changing then we can also change. Well, do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.